0: The socialists among us seek to bring about a gradual change in our system by gradually destroying the principle of the private ownership of property and substituting the socialist principle of government ownership. Now let's be practical for a moment. Is the American way of life worth bothering about? That is, with a viewpoint of self-interest. Well, let's see.
1: before. Thanks for coming back. I'm Chuck Williams. Joining me in Nebraska is Brendan Williams. Brendan, how you doing, man? Uh, oh, 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 that's oh, right. Where's Brendan? That's right. Okay. I forgot. He mentioned he was going to be going to Colorado. In fact, he sent me as a field reporter mm. the week before. We had a whole thing about it last week. Okay. Well, <laughs> Brendan is not joining us this week, but as always in Arlington, Texas, we've got the great Matthew Hodges. Matt, how's it going, man? Uh,
2: no, I'm I'm good, man. But I do want to uh, uh, I want to make it clear that in solidarity with with the NSA leaker, I, I am going to be changing my name legally to Existential Crisis Champion.
0: <laughs> um, so uh,
2: you know, okay. I, I want that I want that reflected in future episodes.
1: Yeah, no, that'll be interesting to hear a little bit more about that. But also, more importantly, uh, the audience needs to hear about the guest that we have in Brendan's place. Matt, why don't you tell them a little bit about who we've got this week?
2: Yeah, okay. Yeah, we we do have a, a guest host on the show this week. His name is Cooper Brinson. He is a civil rights attorney, pretty strong leftist environmental advocate coming out of Eugene, Oregon, and we brought him on here today to talk fast with us about the work he does and um, you know what's going on in this this crazy crazy world we got going on today. Cooper?
3: Yo, what's going yeah. on guys?
2: Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <All> right, cool. <laughs> yeah my name is Cooper.
3: I'm a staff attorney with the Civil Liberties Defense Center. We're uh, based out of Eugene Oregon we basically defend all the kids that uh get arrested, standing up for what they believe in, so you know folks that lock themselves to stuff, folks that get in trees and won't come down, that kind of thing
2: So I, well you awesome, know that's, that's gonna be really important to us too uh, as as we go along. I know you were at Standing Rock uh, I believe Chuck's gonna go out to the uh Keystone XL protest in a little while, so uh you know we need mm-hmm. um a little bit of uh you know, uh, legal
3: guidance. Cool, yeah, well, we got your back. That's our motto, so. Cool.
1: Excellent, excellent. It's like the mafia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that, maybe take a deeper dive into everything there, and uh, kind of just uh, freestyle a little bit about what's been going on in the news. There's been a lot going on, so uh, let's just jump right in.
0: The world is caught in an era of socialist expansion. Most of the nations are affected. And America is a target. In fact, the number one target of both the socialist and the communist. If we permit our great system to crumble through the apathy of our citizenship, we shall lose not only our freedom, but our prosperity and our still brighter future. What then must we do as citizens? What are our obligations of citizenship?
2: Yeah, so Cooper, it's great to have you on the show and uh, I, I wanna dig into some more like abstract, you know, stuff with the news and the government as we go along through this episode. But I wonder if you'd just talk a little bit about what you do out in Eugene, um, working with your organization and you know, maybe how that's how that's changed in the, the political environment we've got right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. True. So
3: we are based out of Eugene, but we do work all over the country. So um, we're actually one of the lead firms on the class action suit against the cops up in North Dakota for um, their countless acts of brutality against the water protectors out there. Um, We've we've also got a couple of cases um, up in Washington at the moment. In fact, today is actually the first day of the retrial of Ken Ward, who was one of the uh, quote unquote valve turners um, that coordinated the shutdown of... All tar sands oil importation into the U.S. last year um, uh, through a number of different states. We had uh, the shutoffs in uh, Washington, Montana, North Dakota, and Minnesota. And um, you know, we had his, uh, his initial trial uh, that happened God, earlier this year, and it actually ended in a hung jury. A jury refused to convict after hearing you know, the reasons why Ken did what he did. They refused to convict, and it ended in a hung jury. So today was the first day of his retrial. So, um, you know, our executive director up there is handling that, uh, Lauren Regan, along with Ralph Hurwitz. And then I've got Mm -hmm. another civil disobedience case happening um, on Thursday and Friday, but that may be postponed at this point. And that was from a big protest last year in Anacortes that was um, massive civil disobedience action against the uh, two major oil refineries up there, the Tesoro and Shell refineries uh, back in May of last year. But um, yeah, we defend activists. That's that's the name of our game. And then uh, when the cops misbehave, we sue them. So we deal with civil rights yep. and we deal with <laughs> criminal defense. So, I mean, Solid. like our basic game is that, you know, a lot of people taking these kinds of actions understand, you know, they're advocating for revolution, right? And revolution by its nature is illegal. And, <laughs> um, a lot of these folks understand that illegal acts are, are you know, that's what it's going to take in order to get us to a point in society where we want to be. And we're out here saying, we got your back if that's the kind of act you want to take.
1: Right. Well, and, you know, there was a lot of uh, protest action going on in Oregon this last weekend. I mean, subsequent from all the other events that we sort of touched on in earlier episodes here, but. How's that been, you know, has your department or anybody had any kind of contact with what was going on with that?
3: Yeah, I mean, we've been actively organizing with some of the lead anti-fascist organizers in the state here trying to give people the kinds of legal tools that they need in order to do the kind of advocacy that they need to do in this current political climate. I mean, you've got I think 14, 15 different states right now that are trying to pass legislation to essentially criminalize dissent. Um, right. And so, you know, a lot of our goal right now is how do you engage in that form of dissent while still covering your ass?
2: Right. Well, mm-hmm. there's that, 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 uh, that proposed law, I think it may have been in Arizona maybe, where it said that any, uh, in, any kind of protest action that can be plausibly linked to violence... Um, can be imputed to the people who organized the protests to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which, I mean, that that is an obvious recipe for um, agent provocateur, you know, showing up um, like, I'm part of this Black Lives Matter protest, and I'm going to throw a stone through the window, never mind that, like the Koch brothers hired me to be right,
3: right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that statute, uh, if it is ultimately passed, is um, is going to be ripe for constitutional appeal. But at the yeah. same time, um, it's really interesting. You've got some major lawsuits going on right now from the oil and gas industry against some of the bigger green environment organizations like Stand, formerly Forest Ethics, um, Greenpeace, Rainforest Action Network where essentially these corporations are going after the civil part of the RICO statute, right? The statute that's normally reserved to prosecute organized criminal gangs. Right, yeah, um, like mafia. the liberal
2: mafia. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, <laughs> so you've got these corporations really reaching um, for whatever bones they can get in order to try to shut down dissent, in order to shut down resistance against um, their toxic industries. <laughs> so um, right. wow you know, they're trying to do, they're pulling out all the tools they got in their tool bag at this point.
2: Well, and I wonder, Cooper, uh, I mean, you're, you're, you went to law school, um, you are well versed in, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, the rule of law. But I wonder, as our political economy, our political atmosphere changes, to what extent do you, actual revolutionaries, people who really want revolutionary change need to start like not worrying about the like the legal institutions, Um, knowing that, you know, corporations have captured all of the regulators that, uh, you know, anybody who's got money can push legislation or just hire better lawyers to shut people up. You know, at a certain point, it seems like uh, like the revolutionary left needs to just stop Worrying about that, worrying about the like the legal norms, the legal structures that are in place to if you if you legislate the First Amendment out of existence, then is it worthwhile for revolutionaries to really think about, you know, this this is protected under the First Amendment? Doesn't it start to feel a little bit like that kind of like Aaron Sorkin, West Wing philosophy about, you know, (laughs) like, well, the norms of government are going to take care of us?
3: Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels Um, it feels almost fruitless to try to dissent at this point, given the level of criminalization that these private corporations are pushing. I mean, you know, a couple years ago, we were fighting the Keystone XL pipeline in Oklahoma and Texas, and the, um, you know, uh, folks from the corporation up there from TransCanada were actually giving PowerPoint presentations to the local DAs and to the local cops saying, you know, here's what you can charge these activists with. Um but in terms of like mm-hmm. ignoring the kind of law or ignoring the rule of law, well first of all like the rule of law is uh it's kind of one of those phrases that's used in the same sense that like the constitution is invoked or that right. um you know uh the notion of rights or or even the Bible is invoked, right? Um
2: <laughs> or pop music or something. Right. Like that. It's
3: just a placeholder for whatever sort of thing that you wanna put forth, right? So it almost loses its meaningful content when you talk about the rule of law or even the Constitution says this. It's unconstitutional or it's not constitutional. Well, yeah, fine. We're going to argue that in the courts, but to rely on it as a crutch for like action is just fruitless at this point. So I think that you know whether rather than thinking about what are the legal consequences of my action, which is an important thing to think about, I think that what most people are thinking about now is. How is my action actually going to make life better or uh, you know, for the generations that are going to follow me? Or how is it going to create the conditions for the kind of political and social climate we need uh, in order for this planet to survive? That's what I think a lot of people are thinking about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did just see um, Chuck in full light and Cooper looking like a... Uh, like a 2020 um, anonymous <laughs> interviewee both just drink a beer at exactly the same time that was pretty cool we got a little uh, a little synergy going on here on the show well
1: i was just gonna say it just blows my mind that um we're in a place where we have to defend where we have to defend free speech for people but you know it's way easier for courts to recognize corporate free speech you know that that's just kind of a sad place for me right now
2: it's the courts recognizing corporate free speech it's also the hashtag tolerant left recognizing you know like fascist speech where you know this this Mm. whole this whole debate over like no platforming people uh is like Mm -hmm. really like you know is this what happened to the left like we're not even willing to let Richard Spencer speak at UCLA. It's like, "Well, no, well, we're not but... like the the tolerant left was never about tolerating literally every single point of view. You know, we want to be tolerant of of uh other points of view, but you know, you let fascism or just unabashed corporatism get its foot in the door and it immediately starts eroding all of your rights about self-expression.
3: Yeah, I mean, when when one group is literally advocating for the extermination of the other group by any means possible, I'm sorry, like... Of course. Your free speech rights are... um, They're going to be a little shaky at that point. And if you don't expect people to stand up for themselves... And at this point, the right has shown itself to be willing and able to actually start carrying out some of those extermination measures. I mean... I live in Oregon, like in Portland, we're supposed to be, you know, some sort of yeah. like progressive, uh, you know, haven for people and motherfuckers out there are getting stabbed for standing up for the rights right. of somebody right. just to be on right. a goddamn train. Like, are you kidding me right yeah. now? Like that's what their ideology is in practice. And yeah, you can't expect but a lot of people not have that resistance. have been
1: following. Well, absolutely. But a lot of people that you know even just follow the southern poverty law center website they're not surprised by anything that just happened over the last couple of weeks i mean that pacific northwest has a lot of hate groups registered hate groups and yeah, no doubt. well i mean let's you know,
2: not forget that oregon literally didn't let black people live there for you know well until for sure like the last and you're years
1: not more than a decade removed right. from a big you know skinhead punk movement right. and those kind of things as well but right um
3: yeah, it's got a dirty history. It's got a very dirty history.
1: But, you know, regardless of where the person is, you know, that this attacker or whatever, it's this idea that you are able to defend free your speech with... Like, if someone's trying to silence your speech, you can use deadly force. Like, that's what... And granted, this person—it's going to come out that this person has, you know, mental issues. Oh or something yeah, like right. That. Of, course, <laughs> of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but you know, that a lot of there's more. You know, a lot of people on Reddit seem to believe the same thing that dude believes in terms of doing whatever to protect their right to speak whatever. Yeah. Which is usually hateful bullshit. I mean, so, so
3: there's there's this really interesting phenomenon, right? Like. Where violence, when it travels up the hierarchy, it's ruled unacceptable. When it when it travels down, it's totally fine. And like, for example, right. right, like when, uh, when the propaganda mm. effort to invade Iraq and Afghanistan was ramping up, you had all this notion about um, preemptive strikes, preemptively right. uh, attacking the people who you thought were going to attack you. And now, sure. mm-hmm. you know, if people want to go and attack a fascist who has openly said, yeah, your race or your gender or whatever should not exist. When people preemptively ta- attack mm. that kind of shit, not okay. Right? That's not That's acceptable. That's violence up the hierarchy, right? right? And then it's publicly yep. condemned. Um, there's not a qualitative difference between these two different kinds of violence. There is a political difference, however, and yeah. that political mm. difference is used by the establishment to justify, you know, certain oppressive uh, tactics to, you know, shut down, um, you know, revolutionary movements in this country.
1: Yeah. But I feel like that, that same thing is equated to the free speech. It's like there's a hierarchy to it. It's like, you know, free speech for the little guy going up, that's the thing that's getting squashed the most. Yeah. But free yeah. speech from the top going down yeah. I seems mean, to be... Like old. the wild yeah. thing
3: to the right for all of their pontificating about the Constitution, what they seem to forget <laughs> is that right. free speech, the First Amendment, protects you from the government. It does not protect you from private citizens okay it does not protect you (laughs) from people going out and shutting your ass down like that's not what free speech it's (laughs) not this like absolute universal abstract right that you get um never mind like the dubious nature of rights but like it protects you from the government it does not protect you from people that you are trying to target and that you are trying to incite Mm -hmm. violence against
2: No, that's right. And even if you're making that legalistic argument, I mean, they seem to conveniently forget that the First Amendment also protects the right to free association. So if a if an organization decides to no platform, you know, Richard Spencer or Jack Posobiec or somebody like that, you know, (laughs) that's that's also I mean, that is exactly as enshrined in our Constitution as the right for that person to. Be able to express their views yeah no uh, doubt the i mean the the ridiculous thing to me is that everybody's got the internet now you know if your views actually you know i hate the phrase the marketplace of ideas because i don't like the <laughs> you know that commodification <laughs> of uh of viewpoints um, the strip but,
1: mall of thoughts
2: <laughs> right <laughs> but in that you know that that sphere of people expressing themselves you know not getting to speak at a university, like I don't get to speak at a university either. (laughs) You know? Yeah, exactly. Like nobody, Uh... unless you're literally going to offer everybody in the country, the opportunity to speak for, you know, $25,000, then there's no like freedom of expression argument to be made here. You know, like there's Mm -hmm. no, there's no enshrined right in the constitution or in just like general ethics, that everybody gets to have like a well-paid gigantic platform to spread their ideas, no matter how shitty.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, but, okay. So now let's take that to the next step and talk about uh everybody's favorite CNN New Year's Eve host hostess, uh, Kathy ah. Griffin, you know. And Kathy that, Griffin, uh, a
2: true American hero. And in fact, I think a, a yeah. good project for Liquid <laughs> Flannel would be to, help reform her image. Oh, yeah. Um, Trump got triggered, man. It was awesome. It was awesome before she did this thing that she did that she got in trouble for. Um, And I think that it's a crime that everyone forgets all of the excellent, um, you know, just like groundbreaking, insightful work that she's always done as a comedian and a a commentator (laughs) Um, just because she pulled this one Halloween prank. Dude.
3: Yeah, all I can say (laughs) is Trump got triggered. I mean... <laughs> that's gory in itself. I'm not gonna comment on the rest of like Kathy Griffin's career, but like you wanna right. trigger Trump, I'm down.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean that's the thing. It's like I don't really feel any sympathy for Trump. Um for for anybody that, you know, perpetuates that kind of stuff, when it comes around to you, it's hard it's hard for me to feel sympathy. It's kind of like that's karma, but yeah. <laughs> I mean they brought up the whole well, Ted Nugent did it, and well, and then the other thing was Bill Maher <laughs> came under fire too this week. And the oh, interesting man. thing was that uh, it was with a Nebraska senator on his show. Did you see that at all? That was, oh. a,
2: that was Ben Sass, right?
1: Yeah, Bill Maher dropped the N bomb with with oh, the Nebraska Christ senator God. on the show with, with
2: a hard right? R, I believe. It, it wasn't right. Just- that was that wasn't like that wasn't like a like a white college girl listening to Snoop Dogg. He he did yeah. He went straight on. Uh, what do you say? It was it was the house hard R.
1: Right, because so Ben Sass, I think was on to promote his new book, and Bill Maher was like, hey, you know, maybe one day I should come visit Nebraska. And uh, Ben said something to the effect of, you know, we'd love to have you work with us in the fields, and bill mars said work in the fields i'm a house n-word
2: oh my god and he, he didn't it, it wasn't even contextual he wasn't making a point about see because i never watched the clip i assumed that he was trying to make some point about like race relations we'll and... need to
1: play the clip here in the episode or something yeah we can play that right now stuff. actually yeah roll him
2: <laughs> you're welcome
1: We'd
0: love to have you work in the fields with us. <laughs> work in the fields. That's
1: part of that. That's- <laughs> Senator, I'm a house <laughs> nigga. No, yeah, it's it's. A
2: job. Yeah.
1: So, I mean. Ben Sass, needless to say, I mean, this was on live television or whatever on HBO, and ben, S- ben Sass was just speechless. He didn't respond. Right. The audience was kind of a mix of booze and then a lot of cheering. But Bill Ugh. Maher just has a history of thinking that he can get away with doing a lot of this stuff yeah. and still calling himself a progressive or a liberal or something. You know, it's just... Um, it's pretty ridiculous. And, and what it really comes down to with all of these kind of things is that corporations really don't care about the content of the speech until advertisers are, you know, pressured to pull out. Oh, absolutely. And that's when, you know, when it affects the bottom line, you know, corporations don't do things in terms of feelings or altruism or any of that kind of nonsense. It's strictly about, hey, are we, you know, how are we doing ratings-wise? Those kind yeah. of things.
2: Yeah, you bet. So, I mean, you can look at uh, TV from, I don't know, 50 years ago or something and recognize exactly what corporations were willing to put up with. Uh, you can watch friends that was only what, like 15 years ago. Um, you know, super homophobic stuff in there all the time that would not fly these days. But, you know, that was kind of just what, that was what people weren't going to stop buying the advertisers products over. So it was cool. Right. I mean it right. certainly so, it
3: certainly illustrates something about how free speech actually works in this country. It matters who says it, what they say, when they say it, where they say it, right? Like your free your says, free right. speech yeah. doesn't always matter. Right? Like yeah. right. not everybody's free speech matters, but um yeah. yeah. Motherfucking overstepped this bounds there. Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah. I don't yeah. understand why at real Donald Trump hasn't blocked my Twitter account because <laughs> I'm terrible to him all the time but you know I just I, I I only have like you know like 30 followers so it doesn't you know it obviously doesn't rate sad
1: so you, need just, you need to up your profile yeah seriously I mean you know what they say about people with small follower bases and stuff so <laughs> Um,
2: I think they just think I'm a, a a Russian bot, but I'm coming from the like the Russian resistance. Bro, you
3: know? got you got followers as small as Trump's hands. Like, what's up? <laughs>
2: right.
1: It just seems crazy for him to say. Well, you know, I probably didn't. I mean, he was talking about how his son Baron saw that and
0: was <laughs> kind of terrified
1: or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, nobody for the last eight years thought maybe Sasha and Malia see all the horrible pictures people are putting of their father up. Right. Literally hanging effigies of him. I mean, lots of
2: noose jokes that were really in great taste, you know? Right.
1: People are like, who cares what those girls think? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just weird how snowflake ideology works or in terms (laughs) of the people, the people that are the ones quick to label it tend to also be the ones that are quick to to melt down when you know someone's when confronted with something that you know is uncomfortable for them yeah
2: absolutely yeah my my favorite my favorite thing i saw on twitter today was that uh somebody took a picture of donald duck and turned it upside down and it's actually a pretty good picture of donald trump uh and somebody replied on twitter like I hope Baron doesn't see this and think that his dad is actually an upside down duck cartoon duck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like, mom, was I hatched from an egg? <laughs> were, were you going to say something there, Cooper? <laughs> no, I got nothing. Okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. Oh, we should take a break, huh? We should probably <laughs> cut that there. That's pretty good. Let's take a break and we'll come back and dive into some more shit hell yeah
2: (laughs) all right cool this episode of liquid flannel and the following message are brought to you by red apron are you tired of coming home from an anti rally and digging through the refrigerator for something to cook for your comrades and young revolutionaries red apron is the perfect service for the radical family on the go Each box you receive from Red Apron contains everything you need to fuel both the bodies and minds of your working class family. Fresh, high-quality ingredients produced by worker-owned co-ops that actually support a local food system make a difference. This week's specials include seasonal vegetables like garlic roasted asparagus, sustainably harvested flank steak from a Goldman Sachs executive, and a bound copy of the Marx-Engels letters from 1850 to 1875. Check out this week's culinary and materialist dialectical menu and get free shipping and your first three meals free when you go to redapron.com slash flannel and enter the promotion code FAKE NEWS. Red Apron, a better way to resist.
3: Yeah, I mean, the thing about free speech rights, at least in the U.S., is that, okay, so Marx has this whole thing in Volume 1 of Capital where he talks about, Okay, fine. Uh, You have these universal system of rights for everybody in society, but everybody in society is not equal. Yet they are assumed to have these equal rights. So what he says is, fine, between equal rights, well, what decides? Force decides, right? And when you have different groups of society that are on total asymmetric power balances, um, it does decide. And so, for instance, we got corporations that have free speech rights. It's about whose speech actually matters, Um, You can have all the free speech rights in the world, but if your speech doesn't matter, who gives a shit? Like, what the fuck does your First Amendment matter at all at that that, point?
2: That's that's absolutely right. And I think that the technology of social media has introduced this really weird um, but also very predictable twist to that. Where, like, you can game, say, the Twitter algorithm to get your view promoted more. Even if the people who are following you, retweeting you, liking your tweet or whatever, aren't real. If they're just robots being run out of somebody, you know, and I'm not talking, I'm not going full Louise Mensch here and saying that this is all uh, Russian hackers. Like people do this, you know, SEO people do this um, to promote their accounts where they hire a company where a bunch of like Singaporean people who sit in a warehouse all day. Yeah, dude, sell fit tea on Instagram, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You know, so like fake followers and yeah, you can say their their followers are fake, but that doesn't mean that your view isn't getting out to a much broader audience simply because the way the algorithm of the website works. Um, So, you know, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, to a lesser extent, Reddit, I guess, have uh, they've been. They've been disruptive, but in the way that the 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 whole idea of freedom of expression was disruptive anyway, or or disruptable.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I guess my thing is that, you know, what we've seen, especially, and I hate to bring it up because it's so cliche, but since Citizens United, it's pointed out how fruitless the notion of rights is, right? Like, rights matter only in the context of private property. They are what you have and what you are able to exercise. And under capitalism, what you have and what you are able to exercise very much, if not absolutely, depends on your social and economic class. Like, fine. You can have all the yep. rights you want in the world, but it does not matter if you cannot exercise them to the extent that, say, a multinational corporation can.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. And, you know, we, we see that played out in so many ways that, uh, you know, like the climate change debate is somehow a, a debate going on in this country where pretty much the rest of the world has, you know, agreed that this thing is happening we need to do something about it but you know we've got like you said the access to free expression really does depend on basically how much money you have and then you've got also this idea you know the mainstream media is totally complicit in in that kind of thing because their financial objectives; their their whole incentive is to try to present a conflict, yeah. and the easiest conflict that you can go with on something like climate change is, well, there are two two sides that are still having this this argument. Uh, if it comes to something like Black Lives Matter, it's like, well, you know, it's basically like black people versus cops. Um, which right, that's, right, that's right, not the, that's not the case, but they they're incentivized to frame it like that, and they can bring on you know, Sheriff Clark as if he's reliable for anything ever right. in the entire world, um, as like the countervailing point to the people saying, like, I just don't want my 12 year old to get shot for playing with the squirt gun. In the yeah, park. I
3: mean, these pervasive incentives are all across the spectrum, though. I mean, it's not just media. It's uh, it's fucking healthcare, it's education, it's everything. You have these perverse incentives of private corporations whose interests are total opposite of what they say their missions are. No, they have one legal obligation, and that's great profit for their shareholders. It's not a matter of greed, it's not a matter of anything else, it's a matter of how the economic system works.
2: <laughs> yep, yep, that's right. No, if uh, I mean, I, I made the point uh, a couple of episodes ago about how Um, Like a a true environmental ethic is pretty much basically incompatible with capitalism. Yeah. Um, And nobody took the bait. But I I think that's a really important thing to bring up in in this context, because what we're talking about is actual financial incentives on one side and a social like egalitarian incentive on the other side. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, that like the proof is in the pudding at that point. Like, if the system is favoring the one that's the financial incentive, then you know how your society is geared.
0: yeah. Yeah, propaganda is fucking powerful, man. Jesus Christ. And it's important, too, that in our republic, authority is surrounded by an ingenious system of checks and balances that prevents autocratic or dictatorial rule. Private ownership diffuses the wealth and economic power over the very widest area, over our whole population and makes our people independent, masters of their own lives. The profit motive, as we have learned, is active in all human behavior. Authority is surrounded by an ingenious system of checks and balances that prevents autocratic or dictatorial rule.
2: Wait, so so you were saying that there was a, a Flint, Michigan politician who also pulled a Bill Maher? Oh yeah. Um. Let me. I should look that guy up real quick here. But
1: basically, he dropped the N word. He basically said, you know, that Flint happened because a bunch of N words didn't pay their water bill. Oh my god. Yeah. Give me just a second here.
2: Oh, that's such a shit take for so many reasons. You know, I mean, it, it the the responsibility couldn't possibly devolve to the city of Flint, Michigan for using toxic metals to build their infrastructure in the first place or, you know, be able to respond to that obvious problem before it became a crisis. Right. I mean, I understand that. I understand that Flint had its industry go away, but it wasn't always like that. They knew they had lead water pipes, right? Right.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's the whole basis of it, right? Like the whole negligent portion of that action is that they they knew it, yet they did nothing.
2: Right. Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, people stopped, <laughs> n words or otherwise, stopped paying their water bills in Flint because nobody can fucking work in Flint.
3: Right? <laughs> no. I mean, it's uh, it's a conflation. It's, not,
2: it's not because of their race, Jesus.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a total conflation of the causation of the problem, right? Like, I mean, this happens in every context. Oh, it wasn't our fault; it was the poor people's fault. Like, yeah, or, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh no, it right. was the poor people of color's fault, actually. Well, right. no,
2: I mean, cause in America, if you're talking about poor people in a lot of places, you're going to be talking about poor people of color, you know? Um, yeah. it's, it's easier to, you know, the, like, like the white poor class does get ignored. Um, and it's not because, you know, that's, that's not a violation of their, their privilege or anything. It's because nobody's interested in white poor people the way they are in black poor people because black poor people can also be used for this other narrative about how bad like races are. So
1: apparently this is Phil Stair, who's the sales manager of the Genesee County land bank. Who's a Flint, Michigan official. And he, he just resigned. Sounds important. Said quote, Flint has the same problem as Detroit fucking n-words don't pay their bills believe me i deal with them stare is heard saying on the recording which was made may 26 so this thing is on recording so Classy. yeah we'll have to play that too <laughs> so, yeah yeah it's been a pretty weird week that's for sure in terms of uh everyone feeling empowered with their blackness or something there <laughs> so <laughs> you know um, do we even
3: have to unpack that <laughs>
1: no no we don't we definitely don't you know no um just
2: no it's just i mean it's just more it's more trump america you know it's it's uh it's it's the same it's exactly the same philosophy that had our beloved president um tweeting about how the mayor of new york like committed a gaffe on twitter when he said like don't panic about stuff mayor of london Yeah. Yeah. Uh, When, when it was clear from the context of what he was talking about was it wasn't like, don't be worried about terrorism. It was seriously, we don't want people freaking out if they see cops on the streets after this terrorist attack. This is our response. It doesn't mean that there's something scary going on. Right. And then he goes back on Twitter to talk about like, Oh, that was, that was a nice little like song and dance he did. Right. Um, you know, trying to walk that statement back. It's like, Trump, he doesn't have a fucking time machine. Right. Like, if you had actually read the thing to begin with. But here's the thing. You know, the uh, Manchester mayor and the mayor of London both have had to deal with terrorist attacks in the last little bit. The one that Trump attacked just happened to be the one who's got brown skin and has a a Middle Eastern sounding name.
3: And it's not the first time, like, from their family. Trump Jr., famous from the purge, like, fucking (laughs) already characterized this statement from the London mayor, what, like, two years ago? Like, it's par for the course, no pun intended, like, for the Trumps. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: What a bogey of a statement there.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I just want to see the eagle fly. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, that that that's how he goes, though. But it's kind of like he he's wonderful at putting people on the defensive through his own sheer ignorance, even though they have nothing to be on the defensive about. So it's yeah. just a way; it's a waste of energy, and it's a great way for him to distract from whatever the hell he's doing now. But it's uh, it certainly doesn't do anything in the way of actually making places safer. Or helping places recover adequately from these kind of things. Oh, so. for
2: sure. You know, it, and have your, have your disputes with Barack Obama's foreign policy. You know, those are probably 100% legit. But in the aftermath of any kind of worldwide, uh, you know, if it was a terror attack or a natural disaster or something like that, he gave that sense of um, just kind of like steady support you know, like calm and collected, you guys, everything's going to be okay. Um, and and it's amazing to have a president. I mean, that's been the standard for forever. And we don't sure. have that anymore, you know.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, the imperialist doesn't have any clothes anymore. I mean,
2: mm-hmm. it's out mm-hmm. in the
3: open at this point.
2: Right. You know, there's a joke to be made about Birdie from golf and the Twitter logo, but I just couldn't get the bat off my shoulder (laughs) (laughs) Detroit
1: Detroit was charging all its customers for the cost They weren't collecting from there well, they weren't yeah. shutting the water off, and they yeah. went there letting bills go forever, but they were charging everybody else, they covered them well, so has the same problems, that's right, something they were going to pay the bills, I I deal with them, and I don't want to call niggas, I have, shit I just went to Myrtle Beach with 24 guys and I was the only white guy, I got friends, I mean there's, there's and Celtic bit trash, the and there's trouble when they take on Aberdeen. People Cup do this. Mm-hmm. They just don't pay their bills. Well, Detroit,
3: Detroit didn't pay the
1: them bills, season. so they charged everybody else. Now, but the Flint the at
3: so had to pay their bill.
1: That's kind of all I had with that Flint thing. Okay. What else? what else do well, we got going on here?
3: I don't know. You know, we could we could keep the free speech theme going, or the constitutional. Uh, aspects of dissent going. There was mm. that, you know, new disclosure from the shit that happened out in North Dakota that the uh, oh the Tiger Swan basically, yeah. I mean, they exported yeah. their duties to a private corporation, and the private corporation Tiger Swan essentially. I mean, they broke every goddamn law in the books in terms right. of law enforcement investigating so-called criminals
2: right right you know and this is this is going to be super relevant to our interests too because chuck you're still planning on going out to the keystone xl here in what's that a couple of months from now
1: in august yeah they're gonna have the hearings in lincoln nebraska but there's gonna probably be some events before then and yeah i'm definitely tuned in to go to anything so
2: so it seems like a really good time for us to talk about i mean what you ought to be able to expect out there, you know, the dirty tricks that law enforcement and by extension just kind of the corporate overlords are going to try to pull on that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Cooper, you were, you were at Keystone XL. So, yeah, lay it on us.
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, our firm represented a number of um, folks that resisted Keystone XL back in the day when Obama was still in power. Um, and that was mostly out in Oklahoma. But like I said, we represent a number of folks up in North Dakota who were opposing the Dakota Access pipeline. You know, just like K Stone XL, just like Dakota Access, they both hired these so called private intelligence firms, which are <coughs> basically made up of humans who served in the Middle East and apply mm-hmm. the same sort of quote unquote counter terror tactics. Um, to nonviolent, peaceful protesters as they do. I mean, they made the, they made the comparison right. in the recent document disclosure as these protesters being the same as, you know, jihadists, extremists in the Middle East. I mean, part of what right. they do is manufacture threats in order to justify their own existence. That's what they do. They're, Again,
2: we're talking they They're literally about like, the Pinkertons. You know, if, <laughs> if somebody watched, uh, yeah. like, Deadwood and everybody dreaded this— uh, you know, it, it wasn't a federal agency. It was like a federally contracted agency of like self-appointed law enforcement. It's like if you got the all the fucking Paul Blart's and other <laughs> <snapsticks> <laughs> private security and then you put them in charge of um, like, you know, somehow thoughtfully uh, like managing protests. It's exactly what you would expect. Mm.
3: Yeah, it's the same perverse incentives that we talked about for all of the other industries.
1: Yeah, go go a little bit more. Sorry, Cooper. Uh, expand a little bit more on that Tiger-Swan situation because that blows my mind. I mean, they were literally treating protesters like they were insurgents or something you know like like we don't yeah, have a right they, they, to be there it's not
3: worth something i mean it was quite literally um in their intelligence briefings to the corporation tiger swan openly and actively compared to these nonviolent, peaceful protesters to basically following the jihadist model in the middle east and again like they niche, they, yeah it, it's absurd we were out there a number of times um i probably put it five or six different times coordinating the legal support out there and um i mean they engaged in everything from just your run-of-the-mill mill co pro spying you know following activists right who they were figuring out the leaders you can't always trust every
2: single person at your meeting because right, right. one of those people might actually be working for the FBI or somebody. Right. Good lord. But
3: one of the things that I thought was a bit more troubling, and again, like we shouldn't be shocked at this kind of thing, right. but they also engaged in counter propaganda efforts. They realized that the narrative, the national narrative for the Dakota Access Pipeline, was not in favor of the corporation, and they started to create fake YouTube videos, started to create fake websites. <laughs> oh and my God. Basically <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they It's, it's
2: actually good. Like you guys, like it's actually good <laughs> when we spray people with freezing water um in subzero temperatures. Like yeah, I mean, you know,
3: I think part of their intel briefings were what provided the justification for the law enforcement that was on the ground to use that level of force, right? Any excuse that law right. enforcement could have to justify that level of force, they were going to take it. And they took it. Right. yeah. And you know, a young woman, Sophia Lancy. Got her damn arm blown off.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, that was there's so many
3: injuries coming out of, you know, Standing Rock. I mean, people are going to live with, you know, no eye for the rest of their life or no right. arm. I mean, the kinds of injuries are just it, – it's, uh, it's obscene.
1: Well, and I feel like that's something – I mean, I hope that that's not what we can expect at the Keystone XL, but that's entirely what you can expect at these kind of things now. I mean – it just seems like these places are just going to hire out these contractors and those folks are armed and they're pretty much like privatized paramilitary. So, yeah.
2: Right. Well, and like Cooper said, you know, it, it seems like the the mask of imperialism has completely been stripped away at this point. And and actually, you know, in a in a Susan Sarandon sense, maybe that's maybe that's a better thing overall like people who get people will get hurt in the meantime but maybe it's better that people see on the news that we've got literal paramilitary forces out there blowing limbs off of children like right here in the country
1: well and yeah maybe but a lot of people when the kent state shootings happened were like they should have killed more college students you know i mean it, yeah, it's such yeah. a big country that you're going to find about 50 percent of the people will shock you in what they believe
2: yeah i i, I believe that the maga hats are going to be totally okay with it but we gotta remember that <laughs> like I, the maga hats only make up like i mean they're they're like 35 percent of the people who actually vote or tune into polls which means there's something like I don't know, twelve percent of the country at this point.
1: Yeah, but the problem is is the MAGA hats aren't the ones that are contracted to go out there shooting, you know, rubber bullets at you and stuff. It's these these people that basically have no party but are doing it for highest dollar. I, yeah well I, I, I would be surprised if
2: any of these guys weren't wearing a MAGA hat on the weekends. Well, but for sure, for sure.
1: But it's like I you know, I, I realize that anything worth changing and having is worth struggling for and that struggle might include laying your life on the line but at the same time i kind of don't want it to come to that right now so i feel like i almost need to buy like a tactical vest or something you know like i was just i was just thinking
2: that maybe i should drive up to be with you because like if I'm just kind of standing between you and the counter protesters, like they're not <laughs> they're gonna, gonna shoot be like, guy. "There's, he, yeah, Matt, you ain't got a hold of He's got hair a hostage. Either, so, uh... He's no, no. That's right. You know, um, yeah, male pattern baldness is really big among the MAGA crowd. Right. I think that's why they wear the baseball hat. Yeah. a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean the question really is. How much are going to, you know, how much are people going to put up with before they actually resist, right? Like, are they going to see the pictures of the paramilitary groups, you know, oppressing certain nonviolent peaceful protesters and actually do something? Or are they going to say, like Chuck just said, yeah, they deserve it, you know? Um, So that's, I mean, that's really the question to be borne out. Revolution is never a, uh, well, generally never a peaceful process. It's always (laughs) really, really messy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No,
2: that's right, Cooper. And there's a thing happening in your backyard right now where, uh, what was that? The state senator, it was either from Oregon or Washington, was talking about how, like, what we need is like private security forces to come in for these, uh, for these pro-Trump rallies, you know. And you've got these these people. I mean, they listen to Alex Jones, like Alex Jones tries to motivate people against you know like federal or or even like state power uh, like power grabs um but they're totally in favor of this idea of basically the brown shirts coming in for yeah. like pro-trump rallies
3: yeah they um i i can't remember the the guy's name either i don't think he was a state senator but he was uh he might be a state rep okay and uh yeah he advocated for having three percenters come in and actually do security for um for certain right-wing law enforcement. Oh, my God. The thing is, in Southern Oregon, they're already taking the place of the cops. Like, in a lot of the rural areas in Oregon, 3%ers have gone in and attempted to take over basically budget shortfalls in the local cops. Wow. Mm. You can only imagine what kind of effect this has been having on a lot of the migrant workers down there and, honestly, anybody who's not a white dude. Right. The rural organizing project uh, that's based out of here in Oregon has, has faced a lot of that kind of repression. It's been really scary for organizers down in southern Oregon uh, to deal with some of these three percenters. So they're a scary group. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine, though, like being a person of color out there and having just some dude that's not a cop Come up and start asking you questions or say, Hey man, I need to stop and frisk you real quick or flagging right. you to pull you over and stuff like that. that well, would be...
2: considering there are only about five black people in all of Oregon and uh, outside the, of Portland, the rest of the you know, uh, uh, pretty much the bulk of the people of color who are left after that are um, migrant field workers from Mexico, and Nicaragua, Honduras. Um, like, no, no, I can't actually imagine that. Uh, you know, the, the migrant workers, they don't necessarily speak English either, you know, just be a terrifying environment out there. Um, which, you know, that's, that's a, that's an issue that Oregon politics is going to have to address at some point that like everybody who lives in the I five corridor is super progressive. Like we, we love Brown people. We love <laughs> right. them, you guys. Uh, we, I mean, we don't ever see them, um, but we love them, like, in the abstract. But then these abuses are happening in the state, and, like, where are they on that? <laughs> right.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of remarkable to see the right-wing retreat into this notion of private security. I mean, not just in Oregon, but, I mean, you got that one lawmaker out in Montana. You guys discussed it on, I think, your last show— who's choke yeah. slamming, you know, journalists at this oh, point. Oh yeah. So, right, right.
2: It's a Forté.
3: Yeah, they're not fucking around. Um the left on the other hand is still fucking around.
2: Right. <laughs> well, the left is fucking around with itself too. I mean, yeah. they they can't get over I mean, it, it it's basically come down on Twitter to whether or not you follow Louis Mensch and want to want to hear really? about Russia, you know, like that that seems to be the the division. It's like all of the Louis Mensch followers think that uh, Hillary Clinton was actually, you know, the best candidate we've ever run. And it was Russian hacking and like racism that lost her the election. And then you've got the left who, I mean, it's not like they're getting along real well among themselves, but they hate these people because they're like, no, she wasn't that great. And also we need more class consciousness and, um, (laughs) basically Louis mentions a crazy conspiracy theorist which is probably true also you know uh, yeah it, yeah
3: it's amazing how how uh conspiracy quickly becomes the most tenable reality for some of these folks uh because it can't be explained away in, in any other way for them <laughs>
1: well right and i was gonna say if it's one of those things where if you immediately dismiss them or you know call them stupid or anything it's like see you're just proving my point man i mean it's like I'm, in I'm on getting it, dude. right. I'm getting too right. close to the truth. Look how this guy's reacting to me. You know, I mean,
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. you you almost can't win those arguments.
3: Yeah, which I mean puts us at a really weird place in terms of having an elevated political dialogue anymore right? <laughs> what the fuck are you supposed to do at this point sorry, sorry. that phrase itself was so funny to me i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> well i mean honestly like what the hell are you supposed to do when you can't agree even on the grounds of like uh the sky's blue like what's Facts. your criteria yeah. what's yeah, exactly. your criteria for truth oh you don't yeah. have one right uh, okay like then how do you expect us to even have a conversation at this point Right. Um, The left still is holding out hope that we can have a conversation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's right. And, uh, I mean, this is, this is a thing that, uh, keeps me up at night sometimes because if you can't agree on a reality, then it seems like we're headed toward something kind of nasty. And the thing is like the other side is preparing for a thing. That's kind of nasty. We've got the, I don't know, the freemen on the land, the white separatists, uh, just generally, like, Red America loves their fucking guns and they would love to go on, you know, they'd they, they love to do that crusade thing. The Joe Walsh, I'm going to grab my musket if Hillary wins, yeah. you know. I mean, shit, man, I love
3: my guns too, but
2: goddamn. Right. Right. You, you know, and uh, if, if that's where we're headed... Uh, the, the left is still trying to have, uh, the left, I say, really generally, because I think it's <laughs> mostly the liberals, which aren't really, like, left economically, they're they're left socially, I guess, um, are still trying to have this, you know, robust, uh, you know, marketplace of ideas, you know, the, the better ideas are going to win. And you've also got a bunch of uh, harder leftists who are going to the streets and saying like, look, Richard Spencer needs to be punched in the face literally every time he comes outside, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's a much smaller population on the left. So if, if it's, if it's accelerating, if, if the, if the kettle's about to boil over, um, it's going to end up really bad for the left, I think, because the left doesn't really go in for that. They're still trying to apologize for ever kind of, you know, anything that could be perceived as violent. Again, Kathy Griffin, It was a, I don't know, it was a photo shoot in bad taste, but it wasn't, there wasn't a crime committed there. It was just a, I don't know. I've been to the Madame Tussauds Wax Museum and there's crazier shit in there than what (laughs) Kathy Griffin did in that one picture. Dude, that shit
3: was hilarious.
2: What if, yeah, (laughs) what if it, what if it was (laughs)
1: just him like on a guillotine, you know? I mean, that Mm -hmm. wouldn't be quite as bloody and it would well, be so no, antiquated and actually
2: if it if it had been on a guillotine the left would have gone fucking nuts and all of a sudden kathy griffin yeah, actually someone... would be popular
3: <laughs> someone was actually repping one at the rally yesterday apparently a guillotine uh, and... brought out like a big-ass guillotine i was like oh my god finally hell <laughs> wow. yeah dude okay.
1: <laughs> roll that into town is. square
2: Let's get Madame, some Madame Guillotine makes makes an appearance. Like, all right, <laughs> people are going to start Nothing getting tar
1: feathered. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, you guys want to take a short break and come back for a high note? Yeah, yeah, sounds good.
1: Hold on, we have Ted Nugent who's calling into this show right now. Ted was one of the guests on the show earlier, but he was also mentioned by Kathy Griffin today. Motor City Madman Ted Nugent, are you on the line?
0: Eric, I am. God bless uh, the specialists. Thank you, Eric and Ebony and Kat, for uh, still revering the truth and common sense.
2: (laughs) All right. Talk to us a little bit about Kathy Griffin, Ted, and specifically her reference to
1: you saying that you at one time had done something similar to President Obama.
0: Well, it's absolutely false. I mean, I respect the greatest law enforcement investigators in the world of the Secret Service. When they were forced to come investigate me, when I expressed fear of my government, my quote was that I was afraid if Obama was elected again, I would either be dead or in jail because of all the farmers and ranchers and citizens across this country who unload on me on a regular basis where they're being persecuted by various bureaucrats. And I'm sure you're well well aware of that, the EPA and the Endangered Species Act and the USDA, but that's a different subject. I express fear (laughs) of my government.
2: Yeah, so –
1: so I guess it's time for a high note, or do we even have a high note here, gentlemen? I think we kind of do right now. Well, I Matt? think we got a uh, couple of
2: high notes. I think we could go around the table and good. see what see what people I'm thought gonna... was good or funny this week.
3: I'm about to spark right. a high note. Shit,
2: right? <laughs> Man,
1: it's got to be good living in a place where high notes are legal everywhere you go. You know, hell legal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't have any high note dispensaries <laughs>
2: up here in Nebraska. You know,
3: in that but, liberal uh, fashion of uh, Texas or where you at so Chuck's out
2: in <laughs> um, Omaha, yeah, which Matt. is actually a pretty cool city. But uh, they're also at the mercy of the state legislature, which is largely run by the, you know, four people per county mile um, electorate.
3: Yeah. Right. Cows don't have suffrage yet. <laughs> so right. Right.
1: One of our representatives was in the news because he refused. Uh, it was Adrian Smith. He, he represents kind of out in the panhandle or something, but he was in the news because he refused to say that people are entitled to food because he's so wrapped up, and this was like on some podcast or radio show in D.C., but people are so wrapped up in just like words. They're like, I can't be associated with the word entitled. You could have literally said <laughs> people. People have a Kofefe to food and then with it. You know. But but it's like entitlement. They're like, You're not gonna get you're you are not going to get you you got to wake up pretty early in the morning to catch old Adrian Smith on that. You know? So Yeah. That's our beautiful state right now. Between that and between senators having no idea how to respond to the N word on national television, you know, it's a great place out here. So but but, yeah, Matt's place is not a whole lot better. Well, Arlington, I guess, Dallas, maybe? I don't yeah, know. I mean, the, the
2: DFW area, theoretically, is kind of a progressive. It, theoretically, it's a blue island. But I think they've got it so mm-hmm. thoroughly gerrymandered at this point that um, we always end up electing, like, the red representative. You know, that's, that's going to require some court challenges. But, yeah, I mean, for the most part, this is a super mixed, pretty – um like left-leaning area Mm -hmm. regardless of our election results and um amazing
3: amazing how when like you have to pack people in somewhere they have to like actually deal with each other they start voting in their own interest my god yeah 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 that's no kidding exactly right
1: they can put aside petty branding bullshit you know i mean Yeah. yeah 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 well speaking of representing that's kind of my my high note section for the week yeah I came home the other day, and I saw in the mail that I had a letter, and it said, special notice, you've been selected to represent voters in Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. Awesome.
2: In closed, You'd be a great person for that, re-
1: Yeah, I know. You know, uh, I was looking at it, and I'm like, hey, did I volunteer for anything? <laughs> right. Did I sign up to run for something, and now I've got to have obligations? I, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> so... Then it goes on to say, Charles, your participation is urgently needed as a key facet of our overall strategy to prevail in making America great again. The Republican Party is conducting a census of key members and supporters in congressional districts all across our nation. Well, that describes you perfectly. Yeah, you know, I I I I'm always a little bit bewildered at first and then I realized, yeah, I think I gave money to Ron Paul once or something oh, no. and in Nebraska, yeah, well, v- voted in the primary for him and in order to do that, you had to uh you had to register in nebraska right. you can't just be an independent so <laughs> i was i was literally on on the rolls for like maybe a year <laughs> and now i sporadically will get republican paraphernalia in the mail or whatever so, <laughs> so you're what in for job, life
3: now what job right in the... red out oh go
1: ahead what's what's that cooper
3: i said you're in for life now man red in red out yeah. <laughs>
1: seriously seriously I'm, I'm just gonna have to yell I want out jump me out and then <laughs> a bunch of people just run out into the square and start pounding me or something. <laughs>
3: what? Like a bunch of fucking proud boys? Jesus Christ. Yeah,
1: seriously, seriously. They're like I'm not a, I'm not ashamed of misogyny. You know? <laughs> yeah.
2: <clears throat> but
1: yeah, so they you know they say um the opinions registered in this document will be used to build a nationwide grassroots network that will show that President Trump has a mandate directly from the American people to act on the critical issues facing our country. Dude, I feel like I lucked out or something. <laughs> I was like, man, Trump actually gives a shit about what I think? Dude, I'm going to give it to Oh, you. this is
2: better than Publishers Clearinghouse. Seriously.
1: Yeah. Let's see. One of these questions... Which of the following is the single most important economic issue facing you and your family? Please mark only one. (laughs) Unemployment, cost of health care, concern over funding for Social Security and Medicare, high taxes, inflation, rising prices overall, or other, maybe I should write, Trump's backswing, <laughs> uh, betting against Trump's backswing.
3: <laughs> Shit's a national Just, security threat, man. Like yeah, back his backswing, his backside. Shit, have you seen that thing? Nobody crawls dude, yeah, out when,
2: of sand traps as much as he does. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> he's not a the, thing the greatest sand
1: trap. Much. Here's a, here's another example of questions in the domestic issue section. During Barack Obama's presidency, poverty levels in the United States have risen. Do you think a key element of the Republican agenda should be to restore opportunity and work to help lift people out of poverty without expanding entitlement programs? No, no, it's probably just to uh, uh,
2: retroactively impeach Obama because he was actually a Muslim.
1: How? Okay, first of all, how screwed up is this question? (laughs) It's, It's forcing it's forcing you to acknowledge that poverty levels have risen and then it's like do you think we should do anything about that <laughs> it's like you know yeah. Yeah. like they're they're trying to blame obama by making it okay well this is just a common fact you know yeah, just ex- risen. except
2: the fact that the american economy is on the decline
1: who should we blame right. for that <laughs> exactly exactly which of the following do you think will have the most impact on america's foreign policy in the next five years north korea and iran's possession of nuclear weapons the growing military hold on, and economic how do you even
2: wealth. confuse those two things i mean iran having nuclear capability and north korea having nuclear capability are completely different issues
1: right but they're gonna just team up because they're against <laughs> the usa and they're going to say, Hey man, we're both against USA. It's like, uh, those WWE tag teams or whatever, you know? Right. It's yeah. Like I'm going <laughs> to drop mine. <laughs> I, I know, uh, I, I know the Ayatollahs
2: are really into Juche. So, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So I can't wait to uh, turn this thing in and really give them as much of a piece of my mind as humanly I possible. think you
2: need to get yourself an office. Uh, within the Nebraska Republican Party and just monkey wrench as much as you can,
1: become like a Manchurian candidate mm-hmm. of the Republican Party <laughs> or something. Okay,
2: hey, I mean if that, if that uh, if the right's going to do this. Um, agent provocateur thing, like I, I think the left needs to be doing it too. Chuck, you're you're a good candidate.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go undercover as the Midwest <laughs> Republican Party's only black person. You know? <laughs> they're gonna be like, his 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 story checks out. You know, <laughs> so we probably shouldn't air this episode
2: just to like keep you under deep cover. I was gonna say
1: they're gonna be like, well, he either knows how to split conjoined twins or he knows. <laughs> how to manage a Midwestern pizza empire. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to my man, Herman Cain. (laughs) Uh uh, (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you know, I mean, for a while there, Nebraska was the kind of place where it kind of punished you for being an independent. You couldn't go into anybody's, you know, either party's primaries to vote so you had less of a vote so i always just thought i should be a part of the party that's going to make the most impact and here that was always the republican party yeah i felt like your vote mattered more in those elections than it did in the nebraska democrat race oh i think so.
2: trotsky would have been delighted with your strategy it's called entryism um people don't <laughs> people don't like it that much but i think it's pretty cool hey, you know <laughs> hey Well, you know, we do what we can.
1: I mean, entryism, I guess, is a form of uh, (laughs) survival. Yeah. uh, He knows what it's like out on these streets, so Trotsky and I can pour a sip. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. We live different out here in the fields. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, Well, I guess that was... Let me tell
3: you something about... Wait, never mind. mind. No, go ahead. Do it. I was nothing. It was a dig at Bill Maher, so never mind. Well, no, I,
2: I no, think that's you should a great do it. place to bring Bill Maher back up. Okay, all right. <laughs> no, okay, okay. Cooper's so stepping out. Well,
1: guys, I guess that's my best attempt at a high note for this week, Matt. So maybe we better kick it over to you or something. Uh, no, I,
2: I think that's. I think it's a great high note. I mean, we had fun with it, even though it wasn't necessarily Good. the funnest thing in the world. This this one's sure. This one's a little bit more fun. Um. So. This uh, this memos just come out um, leaked from the NSA, uh, detailing that like no, the Russia actually was trying to literally hack our voting system. Maybe not the machines themselves, but they were trying to get voter rolls for who knows what, targeting messages to them or whatever. It was you know the, right. this big thing that just came out, and they've arrested this gal. Um, named Reality Winner, um, which is an amazing. Uh, if you wrote it in a comic book, people would go like, "I think that's a little on the nose." But they, they've arrested this NSA right. contractor, subcontractor, I guess, for leaking this memo, uh, and it's a serious story. And we could have a whole discussion about like the ethics of leaking things, um, like where leaking comes in contact with like whistleblower. Yeah, exactly. But what I'm loving is this tweet from Jack Prisobiec. So I always say it like that. It's post-Soviec. I don't know why there's an, why I always think there's an R in his name. Anyway, he's, he's part of the like alt-right Twitter sphere. Tweeted a a picture of, I don't know. She must've been doing CrossFit or something. She's doing her like flex um, in the mirror uh selfie and it's on her back and jack posobia tweets nsa leaker reality winner with luciferian tattoos luciferian tattoos yeah uh because one of them seems to have goat horns on it so uh okay i mean this brought out the alt-right in full force uh people are bringing up sure. Pizzagate gate again talking about like you know people should should contact uh marina abramovich and uh gosh it was um yeah people should contact marina abramovich and john podesta to uh you know get to the bottom of this like they're they're reigniting this whole
3: like apparently the right thinks that witches actually exist Dude, dude, are you kidding me? Have you been paying attention to, like, pop culture? Like, have you said Lil Uzi Vert's name fast? Like, don't you know what's up? <laughs>
1: Straight
2: up witchcraft, yo.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's in hip-hop now. It's in hip-hop.
2: Yeah. I know I got really <laughs> drunk one night and lit a candle and said uh, said Jared Kushner three times in the mirror, um, and then I started throwing up, uh, but I think it was just because I... Mixed liquors that night,
3: <laughs> bro. No regulation on that stuff. Bad things happen,
2: right? <laughs> <laughs> so that so that's that's my high note is just watching the like the alt right sphere on Twitter, uh, freak out again about how all Democrats are Satan worshippers because this person who we know literally nothing about her except that she's got a total hippie name has it doesn't even look like it's not like a Capricorn or anything. I think it's a Jester like it. It might just be a shitty, like, Suicide Squad Jared Leto as the Joker tattoo. It's kind of hard to tell from this picture.
3: Like, does everyone know her real name is Reality Winner, though? Like, is it really a hippie name? or Is, it is like... that
2: her name, or is that her Twitter handle? No, I, that's, that is the name that is being broadcast by all of these you know reputable news sources so no i think that's i feel like she
1: should have been on like the 90s olympic ski team with pikachu street (laughs) or whatever
2: (laughs) i mean i think it's cool but it's totally a hippie name for sure
1: no name shaming on liquid flannel but yeah
3: (laughs) yeah right
2: i don't know some people were were responding to these tweets talking about the name itself and they were like i knew a kid named arrow smith and somebody else popped in was like, <laughs> I knew a kid. I nannied for a kid named Arrow Smith. It's like, no, I mean, sometimes people just name their kids dumb shit, you know? That right? I, yeah. I that's not name shaming. It's just like I don't know. <laughs> sure.
3: Yeah. All right. All right. All right. So that so... was mine.
2: Yeah, Cooper, you got. You got something positive to talk about for our high note? Dude, I don't know.
3: I mean, my high note might be a little less high. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> stoked. Um, so this guy, China Mievel, um, he's more famed for his fiction writing, sci-fi, fantasy, that kind of deal. Yeah, Perdido uh, Station judge me and if I King
2: Rat and some really yeah. excellent fiction.
3: Yeah, yeah. Don't judge me for saying fantasy because I don't know. Um, it is. It's
2: I got right. exposed
3: to him. He's got a rad book on international law called, and we referenced it earlier in the show, but... He, uh, the title of that book is based on that Marx quote, Between Equal Rights. But he just came out with a new book on the Russian Revolution. Um, highly appropriate this year, as it is the 100-year anniversary of the Russian, Re- Russian Revolution. And I don't know, man. I'm just nostalgic as shit. Like, 100 years ago, the Russian Revolution, one of the biggest political upheavals in the world, happened. And nobody's really writing about it this year. But Mieville came out with this book. It's um, It's not your typical sort of historical fair, um, in terms of it being just like this long list of facts and this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Um instead
2: It's it's narrat- narrativized history, basically.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Um and so I haven't gotten around to reading the entire book yet, but from everything that I've read, I'm pretty stoked on it. And I think it's a great reminder, especially, you know, this year to think about you know, what kind of change is possible? And yeah, it's 100 years ago, but there's still fundamentals of revolution that we can learn. And there's definitely takeaways from that historical moment that we can learn. And, um, you know, we're not getting paid for this kind of plug, but I think it's it's an excellent text so far. And folks should definitely check it out. <laughs> and I'm stoked that it came out re- as recently as it did. Well,
2: and, and I wonder if you could unpack that just a little bit before we close out. What have you drawn from that book so far in terms of lessons about revolution and resistance and, um, you know, like a, a coherent leftist uprising um, so far that's, that's relevant to today's world?
3: If I could draw like a general theme, like the most general theme that I could draw is that the revolutionaries back in 1917 and a few years prior to that, they made history happen. They didn't wait to react around for it. They actually actively took part in the history making. They didn't wait for their, you know, uh, they didn't wait for one of the czars to fuck up. Um, they knew what they wanted and they took it. Well, hold on. because I, I get a
2: lot of likes on occasional tweets that I make on Twitter. So I feel like I'm, I'm basically <laughs> what you're describing, <laughs> right? There, right?
3: well yeah i mean there's a there's a difference between activism. continually reacting and not having a, rev- a revolutionary prescription for what's happening right like um <laughs> it's one thing it's one thing to kick back and like shoot the shit like we're doing and you know talk a bunch of shit about the status quo it's another thing to say okay we're gonna act and we're gonna act in this way and here's the general plan to do it rather than just constantly reacting to these like inane tweets by this fucking idiot mango in charge like right um so i think that's the biggest difference i'm recognizing like there was a class that was ready to actually do something rather than just react to the insane bullshit of the ruling class
1: wow yeah and wasn't the author there on uh wasn't he on a recent episode of yeah they 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 did yeah
2: excellent one one of those episodes where only one cast member talks because (laughs) it's 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 hard to just make jokes about serious stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Able's
3: serious <laughs> as shit, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, good text. It's a good reminder. Um, You know, it's a good way to think about, I don't know, how revolution happens. It's obviously, if it does happen, it's not going to happen in the same way a hundred years later. But again, there's some fundamentals to draw. Well, I think it's important
2: yeah, to remember absolutely. that, like, Lenin and Trotsky had the benefit of the social unrest caused by um transdimensional moths that literally drink people's brains out um, so that was um, <laughs> right. yeah uh, i mean it's it's not exactly translatable to today but it's it's great to know that there's still lessons we can we can pull off of that oh
3: yeah right. yeah
2: right
0: right
1: <laughs> but but seriously that does seem like something that seems well at least topically relevant in terms of there's probably some good takeaways for how people should be feeling about certain things right now, so yeah, you
0: know, for sure, for sure. Um,
1: cool. Well, thank you, Cooper, for helping us redeem ourselves in this high note here, <laughs> and thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in this week. Um, so, Cooper, do you have where? Where can uh, the audience find you? on social media
3: or sure yeah so um again I'm an attorney with the Civil Liberties Defense Center. Um unlike the ACLU we actually choose sides. Uh, but you can, <laughs> <us at> C- <laughs> <laughs> you can find us at C you can find us at CLDC.org and uh just search for us on facebook civil liberties defense center great i think we got like an instagram or some shit like that but um and i have no idea if we have a twitter
1: (laughs) okay no problem no problem well as always audience you can find the rest of us at liquid underscore flannel and you can follow us on itunes rate us there as well and follow us on soundcloud or subscribe and share and you can follow us individually. You can find me at Shaggy2Trope. Uh, Matt, where can they find you?
2: I'm Matt the Great with a W. And uh, I think Brendan Williams is at B Williams with three L. Brendan Williams with one L. Oh, okay. <laughs> Brendan
1: Williams with one L. Man, you know, it's just... Brendan, we're sorry out there. <laughs> I just want you to know we we think you're way more important than Matt's lead. So... <laughs> But thanks again, everybody, for tuning in and we'll see you next week.